0: Today was uh, Easter, and all of my family. Easter, Christmas, and Thanksgiving are big things for us um, in our family, and so we were all to get together today in Easter. And we have seven, we have eight grandkids, and seven of them were coming over for Easter today. And one of my uh, my kids got stuck in a snowstorm, so that uh, eliminated three of them till till about an hour ago. So they just got home, they just got to my house and they they'll stay over till tomorrow and and one of the things that that happens because my grandkids are getting a little older and they start asking questions you know they're 10 11 uh 8 all the way down to 4 and they start asking questions and they start saying papa tell us this story and papa tell us that story so today we were kind of sitting around the um, just sitting around the front room eating and telling stories and I thought uh, sometimes you know, sometimes it's awesome to, I think as prophetic people, we always want to talk about where we're going. And sometimes it's just good to know where we've been. And uh, our history is kind of important. And so I want to talk a little bit about love today and and uh, share just a little bit of my history. That I've, I've, For those of you who've been here a while, you w- will have heard all of this or at least a good amount of this. Um, somebody sent me this. I thought this is kind of cute. The seven wonders of the world, a group of students were asked to list... What they thought were the present seven wonders of the world. Though there were some disagreements, the following received the most votes the Egyptian Great Pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon, the Panama Canal, the Empire State Building, St. Peter's, how do you say that? The, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the China Great Wall, the Great Wall of China. While they were gathering, The votes, the teacher noted that one of the students had not finished her paper yet. So she said to the girl, "Um, are you having trouble with your list? And the girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there's just so many. The teacher said, well, tell us what you have and maybe we can help. And the girl hesitated and then read, well, I think the seven wonders of the world are to see, to hear, to touch, to taste, to feel, to laugh and to love the room was so quiet that you could hear a pen drop, the things we overlook as simple and ordinary that we take for granted are truly wondrous. A gentle reminder that the most precious things in life can't be built by a hand or bought by a man. You know, all those things are wonderful once you're loved. But until you're loved, they don't mean anything. And, um, you know, um, Matthew 19, 19, You know these verses well Honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was the law. Jesus was quoting the law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I've mentioned many times that one of the things that I've learned and I'm learning. How many of you know there are levels to learning every time you think you got it? There's just another level. At least that's the way. I know what happens is for preachers. I know that um, Bill and I have both experiences where you preach something that you thought you got. And then for the next three months, the Lord takes you through it again. You're like, I don't think I'm going to preach anything like that again. (laughs) And so I, I feel like there's this unfolding to God's love. As a matter of fact, I think that we could study God's love like just his love, like just that one subject your whole life and not. Scratch the surface of what it actually means to be loved by God and to love God. And here Jesus quotes uh, the Old Testament law. And he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And uh, first of all, I think that's, you know, that's the foundation. That's the core value, a foundation for everything we do is that we really can't love anyone more than you love you. And, and so you know, it's really important. And really, I'm not I'm really not going to that place tonight. But and I mentioned it so many times that. One of the maybe one of the toughest things in the world to do is to learn to love yourself. And, you know, maybe we need to say it this way. Do your neighbor, do your neighbor a favor and love you. Do your wife a favor, husbands, and love yourself, because it says husbands love your wives as you love yourself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it. And so. You know, when Paul exhorts husbands to love wives, he exhorts them to love them as they love themselves. And so self-love, I understand we're not, you know, self-love can I, I think I think it gets a bad rap because sometimes arrogance is, is, you know, sometimes arrogance and pride are described as self-love. And that's not self-love at all. That's arrogance and pride. That's why it's called arrogance and pride. <laughs> I was going to think of other words for it, but I guess they already made up two of them for it, didn't they? But um, so um, and, and I think that there are a lot of things in life that that destroy uh, love in our, in our lives. You know, I think that I think that much of the church is taught um, uh, a false humility that's really destroying self-love. In other words, it's become spiritual to not like yourself. It's a sort of sadistic kind of martyrdom complex where loving yourself becomes something that looks like arrogance and I, I think that we have to realize that Jesus was the one who said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the Bible's the one who says, love your wives as you love yourselves, husbands. And so we realize that the standard that we love other people with is, is right here. It's, we have to have it to give it away. And so it's important for us to be loved. You know, I, I probably speak for a lot of us when I say that, you know, some people would say that it's easier to... Um, receive than it is to give But you know what uh, I've found the opposite Like I found I find that in my real dysfunctional days It was really easy to give and not receive And there's there's something about There's something about what happens when See when somebody gives you something It really measures the sense of Your own self-worth doesn't it Someone gives you something And you have a hard time receiving it It says something about your own Ability to love yourself, doesn't it? I mean, at least maybe that's the way I'm thinking. And um, I think it's important for us to be able to love. But uh, Jesus goes on later on in John uh, 15 and he says this. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I loved you. And so he raises the bar from love your neighbor as you love yourself And and, well, we're we're still trying to figure that out. We're like, well, that'd be awesome if I could just love my neighbor as I love my. Or we're going, you know what? I don't like them and I don't like me. I'm doing just what Jesus said. I love them just like I love me. I don't like me and I don't like them. I've just lowered the standard right down to my own, you know, my own lack of capacity to love myself. So Jesus says, well, let me tell you, this is the way I want you to do it. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, can you see that that's a whole different standard? Now he says, listen, the law said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the standard for loving somebody else was the way that you love you. And Jesus said, listen, I want to raise the bar. In the new covenant, it's not love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's love your neighbor as I have loved you. How many of you know that that's that's a whole lot more love that we're commanded to love our neighbor as we as we love our as we. Sorry, I said it wrong, didn't I? we were to love one another as I have loved you. And so then he goes on to say there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And uh, I, uh, I want to just read you the chapter that you would associate with love Of course. I want to read you just to to verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love. It profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is jeal- not jealous. <laughs> not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. does it not provoke. does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. And it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I was with Heidi Baker recently and um I just admire her and, and Roland so much. They're two of my greatest heroes in my life and someday when I'm old older I am old for some of you, I'll get to tell my grandkids. I I got to sit with Heidi Baker and Roland Baker and but um she I was in a conference with her last two weeks ago or so in Australia, and she was talking about love like only she can do. You know, she just has a style that's all her own. I couldn't I can't even mimic her style. I can mimic Bob Jones. Eh? (laughs) Did you get that? But I can't even do Heidi Baker. But she said, love looks like something. And she, she started telling a story. In fact, she shared the same verses that I shared in, This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And then she said, in her very simple but profound way, love looks like something. And she began to tell stories about being and sitting in the dirt with children and with lice and with diseases. And, you know, and I mean, I've been there when she's doing it and she's loving on them and hugging them. and, And then she would tell this incredible story about that. And then she would say, and love looks like something. And then she talked about, you know, walking into... A group of uh, gangs that were fighting each other and she walked right in between them and they said, we're going to kill you. And she goes through this whole story. I can't even do it justice. The the story she told was very intense. And, you know, we were all just captivated by the story. And and as she closed that that part of the story, she said, and love looks like something. In other words, love, love has flesh. Love actually looks like something. It's very difficult. To say that you love somebody and not have it felt, do you know what I'm saying? Um, usually, um, when I receive letters that the first couple of lines tell me how much they love me, <laughs> I'll know it's going to get ugly. That letter's going to get ugly. And I think it's important for us to realize that love feels like something. Let me just give you a couple of more scriptures before I tell you some stories. Ephesians chapter three, verse 17. Christ. And Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and yet you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all in the fullness of God. Uh, just that last part. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. And Bill did a wonderful teaching a couple of years ago it really captured me when he was—he did a word study on the words to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And he talked about the fact that the word to know there means to know by experience what you could not know through the intellect. How many of you how many understand that the love that he's talking about there, to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, is the kind of love that your brain overloads on and your heart totally receives? Like, have you ever been loved so much that your brain's like, what's happening? (laughs) Your your heart's all, we get it. You know, your heart can take you places your head would never go. How many of you figured that out? Like, my heart will take me places my head can't go. Well, it goes. It just doesn't go there willingly. And uh, my heart experiences things my head can't figure out. If I let my head lead, at least just as the way I am, I, 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 will, I, I can only go so far when I allow my head to have to understand before it allows my heart to experience. And what I have found, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, but I found that if I let my heart experience things, eventually revelation will come to my head. Have you? I don't mean immediately necessarily. I don't mean necessarily the day that my heart experiences it, my head knows it. But I find that if I let my heart lead, that eventually my head will, will start to have a revelation of what my heart's experiencing. But if I let my head lead, my heart I find that my heart is crying out for more adventure, for more passion, for more love, and my heart gets bored. I don't know if that makes sense. But if I let my head lead, my heart gets bored. Because my head wants to get it all figured out before it lets my heart experience it. And, um, you know, I... I, I um, all of us have had pain in our lives. Some, some of us have had more than others, but there's, no, there's nobody in here, unless you're a little kid, who hasn't experienced some kind of heart pain in your life. How, how many Has anyone in here never experienced heart pain in your life? I mean, you know, soul, like your soul is grieved. Of course, we all have. And, and one of the things that I think is really important for us to realize is that the depth that you love someone is the depth that someone can hurt you. And I tell you that about a month ago, I shared a message, or at least it was a small part of the message I, I felt was prophetic. And that is, and I think I had some people stand up, if I remember correctly. I, I'm pretty sure it was here, so I'm sorry we're, we travel so much. But I, I feel like sometimes we curse ourselves because we say things like this, I'll never let anyone hurt me like that again. What we don't realize is that the depth that someone can hurt you is the depth that they can love you and the depth that you can be loved is the depth that you can be hurt And what happens when you say i'll never be hurt like that again is you you wrap your heart in cellophane And you wonder why you're why everyone's experiencing something that your head Your head's experiencing, but your heart is still you know, it's like raining and you're not getting wet And, and some of that is is that sense, you know uh, maybe some of for some of you even some of you watching you've been through a divorce, you know a sense of betrayal or uh, You know, there's just so many things in life that have happened You've had a bad mother a bad father things have had, have happened Maybe you had a spiritual leader in your life that somehow abused authority and and, and betrayed you, you know a betrayal isn't um, I was just thinking about this the other day and I, uh, a betrayal isn't hurt feelings You know, you got in an argument and someone hurt your feelings. That's not a betrayal. A betrayal is when you tell your deepest secrets to somebody. You let somebody in the locked room that only intimate friends can get in. And now you understand I'm not talking sexually or anything like that. But I mean, you, you, uh, you, you unlock that secret place that only a few people in your life are allowed to go into... And, and later on, somebody takes that, that, that place, the things they've learned in that room, and they use them against you. For instance, Jesus has a secret place that obviously nobody knows because the Pharisees can't find Jesus when he's not in a public place. So they have to pay, they have to pay Judas to, to lead them to Jesus because Jesus has a secret hideout. That no one would find him what happens Jesus Judas betrays Jesus how does he do it he does it by telling his secrets and there are some of you in this room and I just speak this tonight I shared this the other day but I feel so strong it's not part of my message even but I feel like some of you have been betrayed you let somebody in this most intimate places listen that's why divorce courts are so nasty at, because you, 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 by nature, or you, most, most of the time, by nature, you let your spouse into these secret places. You share things. Kathy knows things about me that nobody in the whole world knows. That in, in She knows about fears that I've had and, and about passions that I've had and dreams that i had that, that I would never share in a pulpit. I would never share the most intimate secrets with me, with, uh, about me. And, and oftentimes those things in a divorce are used against that person. That's a betrayal. And sometimes when someone you let someone in the most intimate places of your life and then they use it against you, you swear you'll never give the keys to that room to anyone again and you spend the rest of your life locked in isolation, find yourself in crowds and feeling all alone. And I just want to tell, I just I just feel from the Lord that some of you need to unlock that door and let people back in there again. Because, listen, you know, well, they can hurt me to the depth that they can hurt you is the depth that you can be loved. That's why it says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Some people are like, I've been wounded in church. That means they were your friend. Oh, you didn't get you didn't hear what I said. Only, only friends can wound you in the most secret place. I mean, you can put me in a concentration camp and you can hurt me externally, but you can't get in to the to the innermost place unless I let you there. I have this key, and nobody gets in there unless I let them in there. Are you following me at all? And I, I feel like tonight that I wasn't I wasn't planning on going this way, but tonight I just I want you to know, like. If you're guarding yourself from hurt, you're keeping yourself from love. I have a very close friend in my life who I love very much. And, um, and many, many years ago, a, a, a girlfriend broke his heart and betrayed him. And I won't go into the details because I, I don't want you to know who it is. And I wouldn't want the person to listen to this and think that I'm telling their, their, their secrets as far as you would know them. And you probably wouldn't anyway. Anyway. But in in a young relationship, a girlfriend who was very you know, close to him broke his heart, and he and he said to me, "I will never ever let anyone do that to me again." And to this day, that person lives alone by themselves. It's a curse. It's a prison. I just don't feel like we can go on until we deal with this honestly. I, I I think we did this a month ago, but I just feel like we're supposed to do this again. If you're in this prison, I want you to spend you. Listen, you're in this prison. And you want out. Now, here's what I mean by you want out. You realize that you cursed yourself. by making. Maybe you verbalized that statement. Maybe you didn't. It doesn't matter. But you said in your heart, I will never let anybody that close again. And you can see tonight you're in a prison. You long to be loved. And there's people all around you, but you can't receive it. Would you stand right now? We're going to pray for you right where you're at. Uh, there has to be several. I, I know that. Yeah, there obviously is. We're, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you at all, of course. I'm just trying to release you from that prison. I have this prophetic word for all of you that are standing. And I mean it sincerely that it is a prophetic word. You will love again. You will love again. Listen, I I almost feel like we don't even need to pray for you. It's almost like when you stood up, you broke something over your lives. And the Lord says, you will love again. You will love again. And I just released that prophetic declaration over each one of you. You will love again. And I saw... I don't see angels with my with my eyes, but I imagine them in my spirit. And I saw them like taking cellophane like this clear, this clear thing off your hearts. And 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 listen, I I just want let the Lord protect your heart. And know this, that don't the Lord, if someone hurts you. It doesn't matter how deeply they hurt you. The Lord can heal you. See, that's my, let's listen, for all of us that aren't standing, either you're not standing because you, you said, listen, I've been hurt and I'm, I don't care what you say. I'm staying down. But most of us have learned that to the depth that we can be hurt is the depth that we can be healed. And there's something happens when you get hurt and you allow the Lord to heal you instead of make a commitment to never be hurt again. And so, Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in these people. Well, the Lord told me not to pray for you. He just told me to declare over you that you will love again, that you will love again. Look up, me, that you will love again, that you will love again, that you will love again, that you will love again. And that loneliness is not to ever be your friend again. Loneliness is not to be your friend the spirit of rejection is to leave your life right now. Rejection is not your friend. And li- listen to this. I saw the Lord take a whole case file. It, the, you were, I saw many of you, and I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying, I've watched this in my own life. I see case files that you have against people that you really want to love you. And I saw the Lord just take those and throw them in the fire. Like, like you have no reason to not let people love you anymore. Thank you, Lord. And I break the power of regret, the power of regret. Listen, some of you were the betrayer. Some of you. And listen, isn't it true that Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus? Listen, what I'm getting at is this. You might be the betrayer. You may be standing up saying, I'm the betrayer. I'm the one who sold out the secret. And that's why nobody wants to get close to me. And I want to tell you that Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus. One one of them became a rock in the church and the other one hung himself. But there are hope for betrayers. The Lord knows how to restore betrayers. And I probably am right in saying that probably all of us have betrayed somebody in our lives, mostly unknowingly that we've told some secret that. I know I have told some secret that I didn't realize was such an intimate secret to somebody. And I went and shared it with someone else and realized I had just broken someone's heart. And boy, That's tough to deal with when you when you do that. But the Lord just releases you into forgiveness. Those of you that have stood and you're, you've betrayed, the Lord just releases you. Some of you are the one who ran off with someone. There's two people in here that you ran off with, another You were married and you ran off with someone else and you've never allowed the Lord to give you a new start. And the Lord says, I forgive you. Listen, I forgive you. And remember, it's important that you forgive you so that you can love yourself. And we just release you from that in Jesus name. Let's just see. Um, I I break self-hatred and suicide. Gosh, someone's plotting their own suicide in here. Don't raise your hand. We just break that off of you right now. In Jesus' name, that thing is not your friend. Listen, listen, it's not your friend. And and let me just be really clear: you don't have a right to take your life. You're not the one who gave your life. Give you life. Jesus owns your life. So I'll just release you from that thing. And we need you. So don't don't go away. We need you. You haven't finished. That's not the way to finish. So Lord, we just release peace over people who are is dealing with that. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you for the boldness that it took to stand up. I, um, my, um, my mother and father got together, and I was, uh, my mother was the uh, head cheerleader in high school. My father was a star football player. He actually got drafted by the NFL, But in those days, it didn't pay anything. So my father had already children and couldn't play. But um, so my father was the star football player. My mother was the cheerleader. And I got pregnant out of wedlock. And in those days, you know, in (laughs) I got pregnant. My mother got pregnant out of wedlock. I was conceived out of wedlock. Guys are ready to laugh. What's crazy is when you replay it and it sounds right, even when you play it back in your mind, (laughs) you realize it can't be for that many people to be laughing. (laughs) I was conceived out of wedlock in the 50s. And and in those days, you just you didn't have children out of wedlock. It was it was um, obviously society looked down on that. Nowadays, we have lots of people who have many children and live together and and I, society doesn't think that's a, that's a big deal, but in those days it was a pretty big deal. And my uh, my grandfather found out that my mother was pregnant, and he told my mother, "You're not part of this family. Get away from here. You 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 are not my daughter. I never want to see you again." And of course, my mother and father went away, and they you know eloped and got married. So my right away. So they were married, but my grandfather would have nothing to do with my mother and that went on for a long time, quite a while, several months, i think almost a year if if the the way i've heard the story at least and uh, that was pretty tough and so my father decided one day that he had had enough of that, and so he decided to go see my grandfather who who just would not have just would not see him would not would not meet with him my father made several attempts my grandfather would not meet with my father so my father one day 20 I think he was about 22 years old drove to my grandfather's house parked down the street so my grandfather wouldn't see the car came to the back door knowing that my grandfather was the only one home knocked on the door and when my grandfather came to the door he fell to his knees my father fell to his knees and begged my grandfather for forgiveness. Thankfully, my grandfather forgave him because a little over two years later, my dad drowned. And my grandfather made a covenant. I found my my father on the bottom of Anderson Dam in the middle of a rainstorm at night. And uh, my father went back. He saved my, my uncle's life swam back to get the boat and never returned. My grandfather grabbed my father by the shoulders. He was obviously not alive. And he made a commitment, a covenant with my dead father to raise me and my sister. And so my grandfather became my father, the only man in my life that ever loved me in my early years because I had two stepfathers who didn't like me. So... He became sort of everything to me and, and uh, my, fa- my grandfather believed in me. You know, how many of you realize that you got saved when you believed in Jesus, but you got transformed when you realized he believed in you? And I can tell you that it's the people that God put in my life that believed in me before I deserved it. That have transformed my life. Allison, one, I've quoted her many times. She's one of our students and she's, um, she's been an editor for Bill and I. I really love her a lot. She, she, said, she said this several times to me. and It's just a quote that I love. She said, I love listening to other people's prophecies. I said, Allison, why do you like listening to other people's prophecies? She said, so that I treat them not as they are, but as God sees them. And then my life invites them into their call and their destiny. And um, I just have had a very privileged life. I've I've had uh, a very tough life in some ways, but I've had a very privileged life in that God has always had put someone in my life who believes in me before I deserve it. And my grandfather was just that kind of a person. He just really loved me. And. I remember um, so many stories. I've told these stories so many times. That I just love them, though. It's funny. Don, Don Potter was sharing this. We were having this conversation, and Don Potter said that God spoke to him and said, Don, I don't want to be your habit. I want to be your friend. And I think that God wants to relate to us. God wants to be the person who believes in us before we believe in ourselves. God wants to be, you know, God, God wants to be the one that love looks like something. Love looks like God believes in you before you deserve it. God forgives you before you ask for it. And so on and so forth. I remember um, when I was really young and and my, my father was gone. We lived with my grandfather, or actually right next door, in some houses that my grandfather owned. And um, he... Uh, He'd come home every day in his black Ford. He had this black '53 Ford car, and uh, I, I still remember it. And my grandfather. First of all, I have to describe my grandfather to you. Or you won't get the full weight of this message. My grandfather was probably about five foot six or seven. Not a very tall man. He was about five foot six tall, and he's about nearly that wide. Now he wasn't fat. He was a farmer. And uh, he, was the, he, he was a farmer and he was very strong and he, was, he, he wore coveralls, you know, coveralls. And uh, he didn't wear any t-shirt or underwear. <laughs> now, you would know that if you met him because he didn't button up his coveralls. You know, you get to a certain age and you just, you just dress however you want, you know what I mean? And my grandfather's hands... They were they were yellow from calluses. It, it, if you shook hands with them, it'd be like shaking hands with somebody who was wearing a glove because he'd worked hard all his life. And he got uh, he got a gum disease and they they pulled all his teeth out. Except for I don't I have no idea why, but they why they did it this way. But they left his four eye teeth in and when they fitted him for when they fit him for dentures, he, he used to say he called them his choppers. He says his choppers didn't they hurt him. So he. He needed to keep them with him in case he needed to eat, but he put them in his front coverall pocket and they'd hang out right here just in case he had to get to them quick. And if you've got teeth, you can't do this, but he, he had a nervous habit of showing his fangs. And my grandfather didn't really walk. He sort of waddled. I can still remember. You know how all of us have a walk? My grandfather didn't walk. He sort of waddled. He sort of, he sort of waddled. I don't mean because he was old. I just mean he did that all of my life. He just kind of waddled. He just kind of wide and stiff and waddled. (laughs) And and my grandfather was, you know, uh, he was a farmer. So, you know, uh, farmers. There are electricians and plumbers and mechanics and carpenters. That's my grandfather, like he's jack of all trades and master of really nothing. <laughs> if my grandfather, if my grandfather did electrical for you, if you, you could always tell because if he, if he put a light switch in, it was always crooked. He didn't really give a rip about how things looked. I remember my grandmother and grandfather getting in an argument on, on the front lawn. And, and they kind of they kind of did that a lot like they they loved each other, but they bickered a lot and, and My grandmother didn't like the fact that when they moved into the city. My grandfather didn't like doing he didn't like cutting the lawns And my grandfather and I remember I was probably like 10 and my grandmother and grandfather were in an Argument about him not cutting the lawns and he got so mad that about four hours later a cement truck came It's a true story My grandfather dug the lawn up and poured green cement over where the lawns used to be. Needless to say, my grandmother did not think that that was a way to take care of her desire to have a green lawn. Anyway, that's just kind of a little insight into my family. But my grandfather's favorite place to go was the... Hardware store, and he went there often, and he always—I I always was with him. I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I have eight grandkids, and I try to like stop and play with them and do stuff with them, and, and you know, I'm not great at it, but I, I try. My grandfather never tried. Like, my grandfather never played with me. He just took me everywhere with him, and I can remember he'd be on, laying underneath the car, and I would be like laying under there with him, <laughs> talking to him, and I don't think he listened much. He'd just say, "Yeah, huh." Uh-huh. I think I think I probably learned some things that weren't true because my grandfather wasn't really listening but I was just with him everywhere and And so um, he'd take me to the hardware store and and he'd always buy me something. So I don't know. I'm probably uh, I'm maybe eight years old seven eight years old and and my grandfather goes to the hardware store and He goes you want to go with me and I go yeah and I go in and tell my mom I am going to the hardware store and, and my mom would always say the same thing Listen do not let your grandfather buy you anything. You understand? I'm like, huh So we get to the hardware store, and my grandfather would say, just go look around, and I'll, I'll find you when I'm done. So he'd get all of his stuff that he needed, and I'd be just looking at the tools or whatever. And, and so I just remember this very distinctly. I was, I, was, I was over looking at the hammers, and my grandfather was all done, and he came looking for me in orchard supply. And same story went. He was loyal to a, a one place, uh, always. And and so I'm I'm looking at the hammers, you know, I'm a little kid. I'm looking up at the hammers. They're on pegboard in those days. And my grandfather walks up and he's like, you want a hammer? I'm like, oh, no. He said, you don't want a hammer? No. Did your mother tell you not to ask for anything? "Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He said, pick out a hammer. Okay. I still remember I picked out a blue handled Stanley all steel hammer. My grandfather bought it for me and i came home and i showed my mom of course she's like i told you i, I didn't ask my grand you can ask grandpa he told me he wanted to buy something for me so he bought it for me <laughs> and i spent a lot of time alone cuz my mother got a job it, during this anyways this season and and so uh, i would be home a couple hours by myself and and I, I, I remember having that hammer and i i hammered everything you can think of for two days like nah, 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 nah. <laughs> if it was a nail it got hammered several times and, and, wh- and I finally got bored, like, you know, <laughs> I remember getting bored. I have to just, I'm deviating from, I remember Jason loves hunting and we lived in the woods and he actually wore out like five BB guns one summer. He's like eight years old. And I remember like they would, him and Brian Johnson, actually, they would shoot at targets. You know, we had, a, we had an acre and we lived in forest service, by forest service land. So they'd set up targets and... <laughs> Shoot targets. And I remember when Jason got bored shooting at something that wouldn't move because he picks up his BB gun and our dog ran off. And I'm like, that was an odd response from the dog that sleeps with them. Anyway, back to the story. So about the second day, I got tired. Like, I, I, I nailed everything there was to nail, you know, and, and I decided I was going to build me a go-kart. So I went in my grandfather's garage, and I looked for wood, and I couldn't find wood anywhere. And, um, it's, uh, and I looked at the side of the garage, and they used to use this old shiplap, you know, in the old houses. So I decided, well, there's some wood, so I pulled the siding off the garage as high as I could reach. And I built me a go-kart, when I got done with the frame, I decided I need some wheels. So I went back in the garage and my grandfather had a lawnmower. and I, I took the wheels off the lawnmower and nailed them to the side. And, and by the time my mom got home, I had a go-kart built. And I was all excited. And my mom comes out and she, I said, Hey, Mom, I'll build a go-kart. She's like, Oh, where'd you get the wood? Also from the garage. When I pointed to the garage, the sun was shining through the side of the garage. Where'd you get the wheels? Now, by now, she's yelling, I'll set it from the lawnmower. She said, Your grandfather's going to kill you. You understand, your grandfather's going to kill you. Your grand, you're going to tell, listen, when he gets home, your grandfather's going to kill you. <laughs> okay? So, about a half an hour later, my grandfather gets home and is, you know, 53-40. He used to shut it off about a half a block before you get home and save gas. You know, that's what happened. When you were live in the depression, you would roll the last two blocks into the driveway. So my grandfather rolls in, jumps out of his 53 Ford. And my mom grabs me by the neck and walks me outside intending to leave monuments on my neck for me to remember this as before CPS. And she goes, and you tell him what you did. I saw a built me a go kart. He said, What did you build? I saw built me a go kart. So he said, Oh, well, well, let's, let's look at it. So there it is. He said, Where, Where'd you get the wood? I saw it from the garage. My mother's standing there. She's waiting for him to take his belt off and give me a whipping. And he sees the. <laughs> The sun's shining through the garage. Also got the wood from the garage. And my mom's like, got the wood from the side of the garage. I ripped it off. He goes, ah, it's no problem. We just put some plywood over it. Because goes, where'd you get the wheels? I said, from the lawnmower? He goes, ah, oh, jump in. Let's go to the hardware store and get you some real wheels and some axles. That uh, well, a little while later when I was in high school I lived on my grandfather bought a farm and I lived on the farm in, in my high school days and, and my grandfather built me a tree house I don't mean a tree house I don't mean like a tree house I mean a tree house like this thing it had a roof and a toilet <laughs> seriously you didn't want to be under there when she flushed because she was kind of like a My grandfather was very innovative and (laughs) invented things that still haven't come into. uh... And I could, uh, my grandfather, uh, the way it worked is uh, my grandfather would give me chores and I do the chores. He also worked at Hershey's Chocolate as a maintenance guy. So he would work during the day and get off at three. So he'd give me a list of things I would get I'd get up in the morning and I'd have to work off this list. And then when I got the list done, then it was my time. I got, got, I get to do whatever I wanted to do. And he bought me um, a Honda 90 trail bike. (laughs) Some of you don't understand. This had eight gears. It's a Honda 90 trail bike, red, brand new. So I ride that around the farm and, and uh, so one day I got all my chores done and I go down and I'm playing in my tree house that my grandfather built. And a tree grew, another tree grew through my treehouse. So I'm like, I really sucks, you know. I can't, I have to duck when I go into my treehouse to get on the toilet because the tree <laughs> going through the treehouse. So I decide what I should do is pull that tree out. And it's about that big around, it's about that big around. It's about maybe 30 feet high. So I'm like... I know what I'll do. So I go up to the top, and um, let's see. The, there's the, there's the, the house and, and, the, and the ranch, is, and the um, shop, and all that is up top. And then there's you go down this valley, and that's where my treehouse is and the farm and the, the, the trees. And so I go up and I get uh, a bunch of chain and uh, put it around my neck. I look like Rambo, and I get on my Honda 90. And I drive down to the tree and I hook up a chain around the tree and a chain to my my motorcycle, <laughs> drop her down into the low trail gears, back up to the tree and take off. <laughs> I know it's. Yes, I was that stupid. <laughs> so I, I back up. <laughs> my wife reminds me of these stories when my grandkids do stuff. So I back up to the tree and I take off. And of course, you know, the chain takes up slack. It's only about 50 feet long. I fly over the handlebars. And when I do, I'm like not in my right mind. I land in this In summertime. I land in this really thick. I mean, it's kind of sandy dirt. And I get up and now I'm mad. And I can still remember this. I walk over the tree. I'm 15 years old. And I said, you have messed with the wrong guy. As if the tree was like talking to me, you know. So I get my motorcycle and I drive up to the top, to the the shop as fast as I can. And I find all the chain I can find on the ranch, which is like 300 feet. You know, we got hundreds of feet of chain and I wrap it all around my neck. And now I look like Rambo (laughs) and I drive down. I mean, seriously, I can still feel the emotion of it as I tell the story. (laughs) So so there I probably need some sort of sozo. I don't have cellophane over my heart, it's, it's locked in steel. <laughs> so I go down that tree, and I, and I think to myself, I have to have leverage, because I, I need to tie it off to the top, so it will break it off. So I climb the tree with the chain around my neck, and I get up as far as I can go, like 25, 30 feet, and I tie the chain off the top of the tree, and I tie it to my motorcycle, and I think, you know, I need, I need to make sure I'm going fast when this chain takes up tension. So my treehouse is right here and there's a hill right here. In fact, I have a little bridge that goes to my treehouse. So I pull my motorcycle backwards 300 feet up this hill. So I'm thinking that I'm going to be in eighth gear when I pass that tree. I'm going to be going like about 40 miles an hour when I pass that tree. I'm going to, it's going to snap right off. Jesus, God is my witness, true story. So I do. So I'm coming down that hill. And I can still remember. Ah, you know, it's really steep. And I'm like, holy crap. And I pass that tree. And I got 300 feet of chain. So I got a long ways to go. And all of a sudden, I'm looking right over river And I hit the last gear. And the chain takes up. And I watch the tree go, whoa. I don't know if you've ever had experience like this, but time slows down. <laughs> it feels like everything's happening in slow motion. And I go, whoa, and I fly off my motorcycle, about 50 feet from my motorcycle, and I land in the dirt on my back. And I watch my motorcycle, my motorcycle goes, you know, it's, it's on 300 feet of chain, and the, it's totally pulled tight, and the, the tree is still in the ground. And it goes, whoa! And it throws my... Mo- I look on my back, and my motorcycle is 300 feet in the air. My motorcycle it throws it all the way up to the top where the shop is. Now I'm, now I'm mad. And I climb straight up the hill. I get to the top and I think, man, you. Are, and I say to the tree, you, you have messed with the wrong person. So I go up top and I get my grandfather's tractor, which I'm not supposed to drive unless he's there. But I understand. I know that he understands that I have, you know, a goat stuck in a ditch. You know. So I, I get my grandfather's tractor and I drive it down. I get all the chain as fast as I can. And I put the forks around the tree, so the tree's right in the middle of the forks, and I tie all the chain, 300 feet of chain around it, and I'm going to pull it out of the ground by the roots. So I get back in the tractor, and I rev it. I pull the lever, and it goes, and it bends the fork straight down. Bends them straight down. I wasn't a Christian, so I used some words. And, I, I, and instantly, instantly, I came to my right mind. And I get off the tractor and I look. Oh, my God, my grandpa's going to kill me. So I drive the tractor very slowly up top and I think, well, i park in the garage. You won't see it. I'm not going to tell him I did this. So I pull it in the garage, in the shop. You know, we have this big old barn shop. And I, I pull the, you know, the lever back to tilt the forks back. And they go, Dunk. that's it. Like they bent straight down. Oh my God, my grandfather's going to kill me. About an hour later, he comes home from work and in his 53 fork turns off, coasts. He's done that forever. He jumps out and he's like, you know, my grandfather's always optimistic. He's like, so, how are you doing? Did you get your chores, then? Uh-huh. Good. You all right? Uh-huh. Are you sure? Uh. Uh-huh. What's wrong? Uh. Uh-huh. Come. <laughs> I have always, never been a good liar. Come. <laughs> My grandfather waddles into the garage. <laughs> I turn the lights on. another tractor grandfather said you know that's good I've been looking for an opportunity to teach you how to use the torches let's get the torches and straighten this out (laughs) me too that's why I did that had five cousins. They were all girls, all teenagers. And uh, they, my grandfather, we're Spanish from Spain, Spanish. And so my grandfather was a patriarch. So I don't know if you have this code of honor, but in our family, you always had to visit my grandfather at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. Even if you didn't want to, you had to at least come and show your respect to my grandfather. So all my cousins and my grandfather bought the farm, all my uncles and my cousins would come to the farm at Christmas and Thanksgiving or whenever my grandfather called a meeting, family meeting. And so they were all come. Well, I live on the farm. And these are all city girls like they would never seen dirt before. Like their motto is paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Right. These are city girls. So, um, you know, my, my, my family, they're not, they're not Christians, so they're having a party and they're, they're drinking way too much. And my grandfather comes over, and, he's, and he takes the keys from this. We had this, this old, like, 48 Dodge flatbed truck, like a three-ton truck. And he, he takes the keys to the truck, and he throws them to me. And he goes, go take the girls for a ride and have some fun. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so the girls all get on the back of the truck. My oldest cousin gets in the front. Girls on the back. And we take off, you know, as fast as the truck will go, which is like 38 miles an hour, right? And we're, we're going through the, it's summertime, and we're, and we're going through the, the, the farm, and dust is flying everywhere, and these girls are all dressed to the nines, and they are just covered with dirt, and, and we're irrigating. So we go, we cut through the, cut through the, air, through the farm, and we get stuck in the mud. And I'll say to the girls, you need to get out and push. <laughs> push. They never heard the word push in their life. But you need to get out and push. They're like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, no, no, I'm the driver. You get out and push. So they, so here they are. You know, there's, there's five of them. They're getting the truck. Okay, when I, when I say go, you, you, you push. Okay, you got it? It's not hard. You just push when I say go. All right, so I rev the motor. Drunk to clutch, boom, mud just covers all five girls. They're screaming out, push, push, push. (laughs) They are not in a good mood. We get out of the mud and they're yelling, yelling at me, you know, profanity. And I'm like, get on, get on, get on. So they get on the truck and we get on this gravel road and we're, we're, we're following this gravel road that goes for miles and. Ah, As fast as we go And there's the river on one side And there's a cliff on the other And I forget that the road is washed out Like five miles up the road So we're on We get to the place where it's washed out And oh my god, I hit the brakes And we land right at the end I'm like, now we have to back up five miles Like there's no way to turn around So I tell my cousin, Denise I say, open the door on your side And make sure we don't fall off the cliff She's all, all right. So she opens the door and I put it in reverse. And of course, you know, the only thing I knew was like full speed. like. Arr. So we're back. And I mean, it goes like 12 miles an hour backwards. Well, there's a tree right on the edge of the road and it grabs the door and rips the door right off. It doesn't just rip it off. It bends it in half and then rips it off. It's hanging by a piece of the bottom hand just... My cousin looks over. She's like, "Your grandfather's gonna kill you!" <laughs> like, she wanted to make sure everyone knew it wasn't her fault. Like, "Your grandfather's gonna kill you!" Oh my God! I said, "Listen, listen. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pull the truck up by the shop, and we're not gonna tell anybody, and we'll just let them find it later." <laughs> All right. That's, but they're still pretty mad because they're covered in mud. So we, <laughs> we pull up uh, to the shop. And they jump out of the truck, all five of them, and they run to the party, and they're like, Chris wrecked the truck! Chris wrecked the truck! <laughs> Here comes my uncle, who's one of his daughters, is on the truck. And he comes out, you know, and he's had a little something to drink. And he comes out, and he's all... He looks over at the truck, and the door's just like... It ain't really there. just hanging like a wing door. And he's like, what happened? And they're like, they're telling the story and I'm like And he goes your oh, grandfather you understand you could have these girls could've died in an accident. You could have you you almost killed my daughter And he's and he's screaming at me. And while he's screaming at me, my grandfather comes out What's what's going on here? what happened the door (laughs) of course my uncle still just you know fit to be tied and my grandfather goes oh you know what he said I've been thinking about taking the doors off of this truck it is way too much work to open and close these doors (laughs) we don't need doors on this truck it's a farm truck. He said, take off that door and take the other door off, too. So we just we can get in and out of this truck quickly. <laughs> That's a true story not exaggerated at all to be funny. That's exactly how it happened. I have other things I exaggerate to be funny, but I don't need to exaggerate that story. (laughs) My grandfather loved me like that my whole life. I have 50 stories like that. Where i do something really stupid, and my grandfather would just like, That's no big deal. Don't worry about it. My grandfather was an atheist all his life. In fact, I remember my mother talking to me about something. We were going through some trial, and she said, you just need to pray about that. And my mother wasn't a Christian at the time. She, She said, you just need to pray about that. And I remember my grandfather yelling in from the front room, saying, don't you tell him to pray about that. There is no God, and you don't lie to my grandson. So I got saved in 1973 through a series of events. I'll just tell you one of them. When I was 15, my mother was covered with psoriasis because she had just divorced my first stepfather. She was covered from head to toe with psoriasis. You know what psoriasis is? It looks like scales all over, in in her hair, all over her face, down in both of her arms, and we had a prowler for about a year that was trying to break into our house. We had the police there nearly every night. As a matter of fact, he got into my bedroom. I ran in my bedroom. He, start, he ran out, jumped through the window. I had a 22. I took a shot at him. My mother slept with a shotgun. It was just a really, really hard time. And I said out loud about 3 o'clock in the morning during, that, during those years, I was telling you about my grandfather when I lived home. I said, if there's a God... If you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, My name is Jesus Christ, and you have what you requested. I only heard, I've only heard the audible voice of God twice in my life, and both times was before I knew God. Then, So I said, if, you, if, you, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. He said, My name is Jesus Christ. You have what you requested. The next morning, my mother was completely well. <laughs> completely well. Nobody prayed for her. She was completely well. In fact, she still she remembers getting well. We were telling the story about uh, six months ago. She remembers getting well overnight, and she didn't know why. The voice comes back about six, seven days later. It says, "My name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you would serve me, and now I'm waiting." And as what was, that was during the Jesus movement, which I didn't know there was a Jesus movement. And so I began to look for God. I began to go to churches, stand in the back of the churches. And I didn't know what I was looking for. I wouldn't, know, <laughs> I wouldn't know one church from another. I didn't know there was a difference between... I didn't know there was a such a thing as a cult. I didn't know anything. So I would go into a church, and I would sit in the back, really nervous, never, you know, not dress nice. You know, in those days, people dressed nice going to church. I didn't have nice clothes. So I'd sit in the back. And I, and I would say to myself, the God who spoke to me isn't here. And I would leave. I don't know what I was expecting to happen. I just figured if he talked to me twice, he would do it again when I was in the right place. That's kind of a funny story. This really, this girl who really liked me, who I didn't like. <laughs> I mean, I liked her fine. She was just, Anyway, she just was a nice girl. (laughs) She would just bug me constantly. You need to come to church. You need to come to church. I'm like, I know God isn't at her church. (laughs) So anyway, she takes me to church. And finally, because I I said I would just to get her off my back. And then she's like, you said you would. You said you would. You said you would. And that went on for two months. And I'm like, I said, okay, I'll go once. And once is it, right? And then you leave me alone. She's like, yes, if you come once. So I go to this little church, you know, and it's like it's a, like a chapel. It's like it holds like a hundred. You know, it's like little, looks like a little house in the prairie chapel. Just like that. And there's like and I don't know that there's God's moving. And I get there and it's full of young people crammed to the walls. People no, no more seating. I mean, people are standing along the walls and they open up these side windows. You know, they're like wings and there's and, and, and there's people Standing along the outside, all the way around the building, listening outside. And I get inside and the, the, you know, I don't even remember what the preacher preached on, but he said, If you want to receive Jesus, do something. Come up, stand up, whatever. And I did. Then I get home and I'm excited, like I received Jesus. I didn't know what that meant or anything. I received Jesus and I come home and I tell my mom, I received Jesus. She's like, You don't even know what you're talking about. I said, Yeah, yeah. Jesus came into my heart. She said, You're crazy. Well, just as I'm talking to my mom, two Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door. Well, I don't know a Jehovah's Witness from nothing. So they come to the door and they said, we've come. And I, I go to the door, open the door. Actually, it's a summer day, so the door's open. There's just a, a screen door and there's two people. They knock on the door and they're all dressed and they've got the bicycles. And I, So I go to the door and they're like, we're Jehovah's Witnesses and we've come to bring you the kingdom. I said, that's awesome. I open the screen door and I hug them both. I said, I just received Jesus, and I, I'm hugging, loving on them, and they're like trying to get away. <laughs> they didn't know what to say to me. When I got all done hugging them, and I'm telling them about the experience I just had, they're like, Here, here's a watchtower. Read this. It'll help you. And they turn around right off, or drive off, or walk off, or however it happened. I said, look, God sent me already some witnesses. My mother goes, "Those are Jehovah's Witnesses. They're not Christians." I'm like, "Whatever." Anyway, I'll just finish with this. I know I'm sorry. It's my story. It goes on and on. When I was 18, I found Jesus. Kathy and I found him together, and um, in this little group, about 100 kids, and uh, I received Christ. They gave me a father. Um. I I, I prayed during the message to receive Jesus. And then when it was all over, this man named Ken Hughes came up to me who couldn't have been four years older than me. And he said, you just received Jesus. And I'm like, yes, and I want Jesus in my life and Kathy too. And he said, okay, well, you're like a newborn baby and you need a father. I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. And so he, he brings these two young men to me and says, which one of these men do you want to be your father? I just picked the better looking one. His name was Art Kipperman and he became my first spiritual father. I'd never been to church in my life, except for that little searching thing I did. And and when when Holly took me, that was the only time Molly, it's the only time I've ever been to church in my life. And so I had a spiritual father and he discipled me and I didn't even realize it, but I was in the shepherding movement. I didn't know it for 20 years. I had a shepherd. It was awesome. Taught me, trained me. And anyway, so that was at 18 and and uh, one day, I'm, I'm praying, and, and um, God says, I want you to go tell your grandfather about me. I'm all, <laughs> that's the one person in the world I am not going to talk to about you. <laughs> I mean, I respect that man more than anybody in the world, and I know what he thinks about religion. So, I mean, it was really strong. So, I tell, I tell Kathy, I'm going to go tell my grandfather about Jesus, and she's like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I feel like the Holy Spirit, you know, not what I know, you know, something's telling me, it could be the devil, for oh, all I know, I don't know, anything. I don't even, I don't know the Bible, I can't read, I, so I go see, I'm going to go tell my grandfather, so I go sit down with my grandfather, I go over his house, which is a few miles from us, and I sit down and I tell my grandfather, I'm really nervous, and I'm like, yeah, I received Jesus, and he's like, what does that mean? And I said, oh, I don't know. He came into my life. He came into my heart and he changed me. And this happened a few months ago. And I'm a totally different person. And he's, and, and, and I'm Grandpa, you, you need Jesus too. And he's like, I do? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, how do I get him to come into my life? And I'm thinking, I have no idea. Seriously, have no idea. I never let anyone... I didn't expect him to ask that. So I'm remembering like what the prayer was. The guy got me to pray. And then, so I said, well, Grandpa, I'll grab my hands and pray this prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. I mean, it was some simple thing. I couldn't remember the prayer. And he prays that prayer with me. And, and it's one of those things like, you know, have, have you ever done this? Like, I hope to God that worked. <laughs> like, I hope that took. You know, seriously, I'm like, and I wanted to leave as quick as possible because my heart was just pounding on my chest. So, so, I, so I said, no, um, Jesus came into your heart, Grandpa. He's like, Oh, that's good. Yeah, I can kind of tell. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he's not just trying to make me feel good. So I leave and about, well, I don't know, uh, maybe three or four days later, like within a week, I get a phone call. I answer the phone and it's my grandfather. Now, you've got to understand, I never knew my grandfather knew how to answer a phone or <laughs> dial. My grandfather didn't like new stuff. You know, he called them the fandangled. You don't know, like that fandangle stuff. And I can remember being at my grandfather's house, and the phone would be ringing right there. He would refuse to answer it. I never saw my grandfather on the phone that I can remember. And so I, I pick up the phone. I'm like, "Hello," and he's like, "This is Grandpa. Get over here now. Are you okay? Now? Yes, sir." I hang up the phone. Kathy's like, "Who's that? It's so my grandfather's." Like, Your grandfather used the phone. It's a miracle. He has been saved. I drive over to my grandfather's house. I get there. He says, come in the bedroom. My grandfather's not a private person. My grandfather's never had a private conversation with me in his life. My grandfather, everybody knows what my grandfather thinks because he's like me. So I go in the bedroom. My grandfather sits on the bed. And, and he starts telling me this stuff out of the Bible. My grandfather's never read the Bible in his whole life. He starts telling me the salvation story. Now, he's been saved one week. He starts telling me the salvation story and what he learned and all that. And, I, and then he looks at me and he says, Two angels come and sit with me for two hours every day and teach me the Bible. It's a true story. My grandfather wouldn't know an angel if it ran him over and called itself Gabriel. (laughs) Two angels taught my grandfather the Bible for weeks, came to his room, sat on his bed, and physically taught him the Bible. It's a true story. Guess what happened? My grandfather ends up with a brain tumor. Now, it doesn't affect his mind, but it's right behind his optical nerve, so he goes blind, which is a bad thing, right? Except for now my grandfather can't read the Bible because he's blind. So what's he do? He has all my cousins that got muddy and all my uncles rotate in two hour shifts, eight hours a day, seven days a week, reading him the Bible until the day he died. You have no idea how much God loves you. Listen, listen, you you cannot exaggerate how much God loves you. You couldn't, you can't fathom how much you love. If my grandfather, who didn't know God, loved me like that, think about how much God loves you. You're shaking your head, but your, your head can't know this. No, I mean, sincerely, your head cannot know this your head does not know this let me tell you this your head will never know this your head can describe it on a whiteboard can repeat it can do what i'm doing right now but your head won't experience this it's beyond your comprehension and if my grandfather loved me like that how much does god love you some of you have made done stupid stuff in your life i've made a few mistakes myself And you're like, God could never love me. I'm like, follow me around for about 15 years. You you know, you know, Paul, I mean, you know how Apostle Paul, he's like. He murders people. Remember, he, he was ravaging the church and murdering people. And he makes a statement. Me, the greatest of all sinners. Have found grace. I, I am not the greatest of all sinners in that sense. It, 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 you, know, you understand what I meant by that, right? I, mean, I didn't do drugs. I, didn't do any of that. I mean, I don't have like a long history of like, you know, God found me on an LSD trip or something. I don't have any of those stories. But if you checked a box, if, they, if there was a vote in high school who was least likely to succeed, I would have been in the top ten in that box i couldn't read i had no self esteem my home life was hell and every time every time i write a paragraph in my book i go i cannot do this i cannot even spell and it's almost like god said I want to show people what I can do with raw material. You are an example. You're not an example of someone who left you a legacy. You're an example of somebody that I pulled out of the mire, that I took you from being a complete, total loser. And I want to show people, I want you to be an example of what I can do with someone who no one would have ever thought could accomplish anything in life. I want to show people what love can do. That's who I am. And it's awesome that we have people that, that have a legacy. and That's what I want to leave. Because I don't want my kids to have to go through what I went through. I want to leave a legacy. So when I see Bill and, and Brian and, and, and Eric and, you know, and so many of you, I think, man, that's what I want. I want to leave a legacy. But I'm the first stone in my family. Listen, I just want to say, I don't know know your story, but I know God loves you. And I know he loves you a thousand times more than you think he does on your best day. On your best day. I want you to stand, please. You know, you just always wonder, like, how do you finish something like this? You know, it's because I almost feel like my grandfather, you know. I'll never forget that feeling when I was having my grandfather pray this prayer with me. I mean, I've led, I don't know how many people I love to Christ, you know. I know I've led lots of people to Christ. That one I remember. (laughs) I led my mother to Christ two years after that. My stepfather and my sister and my brother. But i would never forget my grandfather, because I didn't know if it was going to take. I I was just, I was so, like, I didn't even go to his house for all those days until he called, because I'm like, what if it didn't take? I couldn't couldn't take the disappointment. And when, you know, pray like this, you know, because I want to pray that you experience the love of God. Have this little, like, hope this takes. I need this to work. Because there's so many people in here. You're like, I need that. Like, that's what I need. Like, I need to experience that. Like, I need to experience that, what you're talking about. I preached this message in a conference. This is many years ago, the worst conference I've ever been to in my life, so now I will not mention anything else about it. <laughs> but I'm preaching at this conference, and I'm sharing this story. I was like the second or third time I'd ever shared this story. And the conference uh, uh, moderator I get to the part where about my grandfather and leading my grandfather to Christ. And he comes running off the front row. And I'm like, there's a fire. Something's happening. I'm like, I see him coming. I have the mic on. I'm not finished the story. I'm not even pausing. It's not like I'm coming to a close. He runs up and throws his arms around me. I have the mic, a mic just like this on. He throws his arms around me. I'm trying to turn the mic off. I can't find it. It's in my pants someplace. And he's, and he's saying this. I don't know anything about... This is the guy who put the conference on. I know nothing about this love. It's, it's on my mic. It's all 500 people in the conference. I know nothing about this love. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finish the message. I know nothing about this love. He's got his arms around me. I know nothing about this love. I know nothing about this love. And then he, he looks me in the eye and grabs me like this. He goes, you need to teach me. The mic's still on. I'm like, yeah. Okay, whatever, you know, we finished the message. 500 people just heard you say that. And then he says, he still has me. I'm coming to your house for a week. She started. I'm coming to your house. I was looking right at I'm coming to your house for a week so you can teach me of this love. I'm like, I'm thinking, better check with my wife because I've had a pretty good marriage up to this point. But I'm like. I lied. I said, okay. <laughs> and I finished my message. There's tons of people who are like, I don't know that love. I don't know about that love. And I want to pray. And there's people watching by Bethel TV. You don't know. You're know, like, maybe you're even a Christian, but you're like, I don't know. that. I don't have a grandfather like that. I don't know nothing about that love you're talking about. And Lord, I just pray right now. <laughs> I pray for people to experience that love. I need to experience it over and over. I, not, I can't have it happen 40 years ago. I need that experience to happen over and over in my life. Lord, when I mess up, when, I, when I'm doing good, I need that. I need, to, I need that. I need to know. I need to know over and over, not in my head, in my, in my knower, in my heart, that you love me like that. And Lord, there's a whole bunch of people out here, my friends, they need to know that too. Like there are people that are really down because they don't know that. Lord, I pray that you, would ex- that you would give everyone that experience. The experience I got from my grandfather, the experience my grandfather had from the angels and from you. Lord, we need that experience. People who are watching my iBethel TV, Lord, they need that experience. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will infiltrate our hearts. You will infiltrate our minds. And that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. In Jesus' name. Lord, I break the power of anything that, that keeps us from allowing you to love us. Mm. Lord, take away all the barriers. Say, so I'm not good enough. You don't know where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how far I've fallen, how bad I've failed. That's just a bunch of garbage. Just need to get rid of it. That's the devil accusing you. He said, he's called the accuser of the brother, and Jesus said he accuses the brothers day and night. That's, that's just lies that you're believing, and the Father just wants to love you. He wants to embrace you. He just wants to embrace you. Paul, just come on, finishing this prayer, would you? He just wants to embrace you right now. Just go like this. Go like this. Yeah. It's, yeah. And just, and I don't know if pretend's the right word. Is pretend the right word? Just pretend it's the Father's arms around you. The Father's arms are around you. He's just loving on you. He's just blessing. Just close your eyes for a minute. Just just imagine sitting in the Father's lap. My granddaughters today, they, they compete on how much they kiss me. so one one of them came in today Ella came in I said to Ella I said Riley's kissed me about five times and you just got here you got some catching up to do she kissed me one little chicken peck I'm like ha huh, that's not a kiss just think about the father's just kissing you all over he's just kissing you all over the forehead he's just loving on you yeah yeah just stay there, right there just let the let's just let the Lord minister to you for a minute. Just keep your eyes closed. let's let the Lord minister.